to all of our musicians, choir and those who play instruments for us, we are grateful to the Lord for you. We appreciate your ministry, and we pray for you, God's richest blessings as you serve him. And again, we are grateful to you. McKenna Hutton, she get back out with mom and dad? Yes. McKenna, thank you, sweetheart. Great hymn of the faith. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And may that be true of us this morning. Thank you, McKenna. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to John chapter 15. We have been dealing with this uh, chapter for the last several Sundays, and we have come down to the third of the relationships mentioned here in this text. The first has to do with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the the key word there is abide. The second relationship that we looked at was one Christian to another, the vines, how they are related one to another, and the key word there is love. The third relationship, and the one that we look at this morning, has to do with the world. And the word that's used there more than anything else is the word hate. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, all within the sound of my voice, share a joy that we are not dependent upon men and women for the understanding of the Word of God. We have resident within us God the Holy Spirit, and He is our teacher. And we pray his ministry this morning as we open the word of God, as we look at it and read it. I pray you'd speak to our hearts, grant to us understanding, and then may we be doers of the word of God, not just those who hear. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. The opening verses of John chapter 15 present to us some of the the wonderful glories of being a Christian. Just to name a few of them that are in these first verses, there's intimacy with Christ. That's abiding in Him. We have that intimacy with Him. And out of that flows spiritual fruit, being fruitful. And then there are loving associations with other Christians. What a privilege. What an encouragement to all of us, loving associations with other Christians. And then there is a productive prayer life, mentioned verse 16 in particular. And then there is Christian joy. These are some of, just a few, uh, a very limited number of the glories of being a Christian. But they are mentioned in John 15. That's the reason I mentioned them here. All these things are pleasant, enjoyable. But is this all there is to the Christian life? Are there no difficult things in the Christian life? Are there no painful aspects of being a, of being a Christian? Do we constantly, continually, forever enjoy blessings without buffetings, triumphs always without trials, witness without weariness, 
Why did Isaac Watts, in his great hymn, ask questions like, Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? Shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? All questions raised by this man of God. Second verse of his hymn, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me unto God? What a question. Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me unto God? These are penetrating questions. Did you notice the figures that he used? Did you hear them? A soldier being fearful. Others fighting to win the prize. People sailing through bloody seas. Foes to face. Living in a vile world. Watts answered these questions in the final stanza of his hymn. He said, and we sing, Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I love that because I like the progression. Answer, sure, I must fight if I would win. If I would reign, therefore, increase my courage, Lord. And then he says, I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. May I say to you, I have a deep desire to be positive when I stand in this pulpit. And I give no small amount of attention to that. Some of that desire stems from my background. I grew up in a large Bible teaching, solid Bible preaching church. But quite often in my teenage years, I was not an altar boy. And quite often in my teenage years, I felt I was being bombarded by more negatives than Moses could ever have thought of. And that's not the kind of ministry that I desire. I have never aspired to that. Yet, God through faithful men in my years at Dallas Seminary instilled in my heart and in my soul a desire greater than that of being positive. It is, it was, and it is a desire to be accurate to the text of Scripture. I want the Scripture to say what it says, not what this preacher says it says. I have a deep desire for that. And there are times when both things cannot be true. You can't be positive always and be true to the text of Scripture. The Bible brings us up short. And there are things in the text, in all 66 books, that are not pleasant and not positive. Our text this morning is one of those passages. Having spoken earlier of the glories, of the wonders of being a Christian, being part of the church... 
Jesus spells out and asks something of the cost of discipleship. For our outline this morning, uh, I'm going to ask three questions. What should the Christian expect? A, from the church. B, from the world. What should the Christian expect? My second question is, why does this hatred and persecution occur? Third Third question, what does God expect of Christians in this world? First of all, what should the Christian expect, A, from the church? We come to church. We fellowship together. We have socials. We do all kinds of things. Our young people do a lot of things. Our musicians lead us, and we love the music, and we love to sing out of our hymn book. We have been drawn by God the Holy Spirit, and we have come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We are in the body of Christ. And that which binds us together with other Christians is love. We are to love one another. There is to be in the church body, a mutual caring, a building up of one another and an encouraging of each other. We Listen to me. We have the right to expect that from other Christians, to be loved, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be cared for by other Christians. Listen to me, church family. This is our responsibility. John 15, 17. This I command you, not I request, not it would be a nice thing for you to do, not once in a while you ought to try doing this. Look at the text of 15, 17. This I command you that you love one another. And if we are not loving one another, if we are not encouraging one another, if we're not building one another up, if we're not caring one for another, we're not doing what the saints of God are supposed to do. And you can't sugarcoat that. This I command you, that you love one another. That's what we should expect from Christian people. Well, what should we expect from the world? We've been left in the world, you know... Um, further on in John, it's, it says, I haven't taken you out of the world. You know, when we came to faith in Christ, our Lord could have taken us right out of this world and moved us on to glory. You ever thought about that? When we came to faith in Christ, the moment you said yes to the Spirit of God, I'm trusting Jesus as my personal Savior, Jesus could have taken us right out of this earth onto heaven and spared us this life which is sometimes difficult. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Look at verse 18 and 19. If the world hate you, hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. <clears throat> if you'll look with me, please. The beginning of verse 18, if the world hates you. Now, at first blush, that may sound like, well, maybe it will and maybe it won't. If the world hates you. But the construction and the grammar in the original language 
removes that apparent doubt. According to the grammar that's used here in the original language, this could read, if the world hates you, and it does. Or it could read, since the world hates you. And those would be accurate. Those statements would be accurate. Well, verse 19 begins with the same word, if. There's another set of grammar rules that applies here. The construction in the original text reflects a condition that is unfulfilled. A condition that is unfulfilled. If you were of the world, but you're not. That is a condition that is unfulfilled. I notice also here in verse 19, the world does one of two things. The world either loves or hates. Depending on whether or not you are in agreement with it. If you want to be loved by the world, just agree to it. The world will love you. There's no middle ground here. Someone says, and I'm asking you are too, just from time to time, just for sake of general conversation. How's the world treating you? You ever been asked that? Well, I've gotten an answer, and I think I've given the answer too. All pretty good. May I say to you, that's not an option. The world does one of two things. It either loves or hates. There's no middle ground. And the world either loves or hates, depending on whether or not you are in agreement with it. Now, six different times in verses 18 and 19, the word world is used. What does that mean? What does the word world mean? When Jesus used this word, he was not referring to this planet where we live. He's not talking about this mortal coil. He's referring to a world system. And when Jesus used the word world, it involves three different things. One, it is an ordered system. The world may appear to you and to me to be very chaotic, but the world as it really is is an ordered and organized system. That's the first thing. It is an ordered and organized system. The second thing bound up in this word world is that it's headed by Satan. It is an ordered, organized system that is headed by Satan. And the third element of this word world is that it leaves God out. It is an ordered, organized system headed by Satan, which leaves God out. Often, however, the world is clothed in a garb of sophistication, refinement, culture, and all the subtleties of human improvement. It has an external appearance that at times looks good. But at its core, it is, to, it is opposed to God and all that God stands for. And it hates the child of God. That's what the Bible says. So the world system is not merely an inanimate object. The world is made up of people, and it's people who do the hating. It's people who do the persecuting. Look at chapter 16, verse 2 for a moment. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. Who's the they? That's the people in the world system. 
They will make you outcast of the synagogue. The world system has in it even people who are religious. What's Jesus said with these people? They're in the synagogues. So they think that by persecuting Christians, they're doing God a, a, a service. They're doing God a kindness. They're doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. People who are religious. You have here religious people who for their own supposed religious reason persecute Christians. Now think about it with me for a moment. Who were the primary antagonists of the gospel in the first century? They were the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and a little bit later on, the Judaizers. And all of these were, quote-unquote, religious people. And they were the primary antagonists of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus in the first century, in another era of time. May I ask you, who is responsible for the Inquisition? Religious people. Responsible for the Inquisition. The religious world. Now this hatred may take many shapes, may have many faces. It can simply be an avoidance of someone who is a Christian. Or it may grow into an active and open hostility and even persecution. 1520 says, Remember the word that I have said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecution. Most of us, I think, have generally been spared of horrible persecution. simply because of our testimony, perhaps, or for whatever reason. But a great host of Christian people have suffered enormously. And as I was thinking about this, the names of two people came to my mind. They were part of this church family. I remember having lunch a number of times with Tom and June Jackson, missionaries to Liberia, one afternoon, an uprising, they came out of their place of abode, and both of them were shot. They suffered. They paid the ultimate. Some of you may remember the name of Chet Bitterman, Wycliffe missionary, kidnapped by a group of terrorists in Columbia, South America, held for several months and then brought out and brutally shot. For the last few weeks, prayer meeting, we have been praying by praying for Andrew Brunson, a pastor in Turkey. Here's his picture. He was arrested and put in prison because trumped-up charges were made against him that he was part of a terror group. Turkish pastor, missionary, and in spite of the efforts of more than one administration and a host of other people, including Franklin Graham and others, he's still in prison. Persecution. It exists. And then... 
There is a church that exists behind some kind of curtain. Iron curtain, the bamboo curtain. And those people, many of them have never seen a New Testament. Many of them have given their lives to get a New Testament. And most of them have never seen a complete Bible. Behind some kind of curtain, there's a church. Richard Wormbrand, a number of years ago, wrote a book entitled Tortured for Christ. I want to quote just a few lines from him. As a member of the underground church who has survived and escaped, I have brought you a message. He's talking about the Christian people today in America. I have brought you a message, an appeal, a plea from my brethren whom I have left behind. Behind the walls of the Iron Curtain, the drama, the bravery, and martyrdom of the early church are happening all over again. And then he adds these words. And the church of the free world sleeps on. Well, let me back up to my question. What should a Christian expect? From the church, love, acceptance, encouragement, being built up, and a whole host of other things that come under the heading of love. Christian people in the church ought to be loved. And that means people in the church, Christian people in the church, need to be Can I put it this way? Lovers. Hmm. We ought to love one another. More often than not, um, I hear things like, well, so-and-so got bent out of shape for something. Why in this world would a church be known for people who get bent out of shape? Who wants to be part of that? How evangelistic is being bent out of shape? Zero. Not a zilch. Not at all. Church ought to be full of people who are encouragers. You remember Barnabas? His name means son of encouragement. Back in the book of Acts. We ought to be encouraged. We ought to be more like Barnabas every day to encourage other people. May I say to you? We get bent out of shape over things that are of no eternal value whatsoever. How do we justify that? Well, I am just ticked off at somebody. How do you justify that? What do we expect from the world? Hatred. Jesus said that. Even from some religious sources. Just a question. Who is it? What groups are there? There's more than one. What groups are there in the Middle East that have just summarily on film had Christians on their knees and come along with a knife? They are people who say they are doing God a service. Church can expect hatred from the world and even persecution. Second question I want to raise briefly Why does this hatred and persecution occur? 1519, and I'll give you three reasons. 1519 is the first. If you are of the world and the world would love its own, but but because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. First reason why we are hated is because we're not of the world. We're not of this world. And any lack of conformity to the world 
fosters hate. The church and the world are heading in different directions. They're operating under different orders, and they're cherishing distinct allegiances. Second reason is found in verse 21 of this text. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. The world doesn't know the Father, and therefore they hate. Second reason for hatred. Third reason is found in verse 25. They have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. The world hates the child of God in fulfillment of Scripture. So you've got three reasons. We're not of the world. They don't know the Father. And there is hatred and persecution because the Scriptures are being fulfilled. Now that's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? I think it is. And if we only look at one dimension, it might appear that way. But we've said this previously in other messages, and we've said it in this series. The hatred and persecution of the world ought to draw us closer together. It should stimulate us to greater love. The world's attitude toward us should move us closer together. And then, too, it ought to bring us closer to the Lord. In Christ, there is hope. In Him, there is help. In Him, we can know that every ugly thing in the world is just an indicator that we are one step closer home. Third question this morning. First, what should we expect from the church? What should we expect from the world? Why does this hatred and persecution occur? Third question is, what does God expect of Christians in these circumstances? What are we to do? Are we to fight back? Are we to withdraw? Many, many years ago, um, my wife and I became acquainted with some people that we, we loved, and both families in the ministry in the Colorado Springs area. And both of them, and I love them. And if they were here, I'd say the same thing to them. I've been in their homes, spent the night in their homes, and asked the same question. There was uh, uh, a builder who built some very nice homes on the top of a mountain. And it was a gated community. So only if you had a, a thing on your car could you get through the gate. And uh, they were only Christian people that were allowed to build there. Do we withdraw? I believe God expects Christians to do several things. Number one, to rely on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... That is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness of me. What do we do in circumstances where there's hatred, where there's persecution? We rely on the Holy Spirit. Did you notice how He was referred to in this text? A helper. We can rely on Him. We don't have to serve the Lord in our own strength. In fact, if we are are trying to serve the Lord in our own strength, we're not going to get much done. We rely on the Holy Spirit. 
That's one. Second, verse 27. And you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. God, I believe, expects us to stand firm, to be bold. I don't think he wants us to charge back and fight. Even in Ephesians 6, the armor of God there, you'll look at it, it's basically defensive armor. What does he say? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. He doesn't say put on the whole armor of God and sick them. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There is a temptation to back off. And frankly, there was a time in my life when I thought, because we had friends there, and, and uh, it was a beautiful place, and uh, you wake up in the morning there quite often, and you are above the clouds. You look down and see the clouds. Now, who wouldn't like to wake up? I'd love to wake up every morning and see that. We're not to withdraw, though that's a temptation. Let me mention to you two men. There are men out of history. You may have heard of them, and I hope you have read enough missionary biographies to know something about them anyway. A man by the name of C.T. Studd was born into a very wealthy family. He was also quite gifted athletically. He was converted in 1878 under the ministry of Dwight Lyman Moody. C.T. Studd turned his back on his wealth and served the Lord against unimaginable odds, first in China and then in Africa. These words, just listen to them. Here's what he said, all right? Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I understand that. Some want to live within the sound of the church or the chapel bell. C.T. Studd finished those lines by saying, I want to build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Wow. In similar fashion, William Borden was born into great wealth. He prepared himself to go to Egypt and to work with the Muslim world. He literally poured all of his wealth and all of his life into that particular work. His dying words. You're concerned? Most people love to hear about dying words from somebody. Well, Borden said on his deathbed, no reserve, haven't held anything back, no retreat, haven't backed up, and no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. These men were able to stand firm. They could see beyond the hatred and the persecution They gloried in the truth that they knew they were on the, the, the right side. They knew they were on the Lord's side, and he was on their side. And they gave a firm, consistent testimony in the face of enormous opposition and persecution. Third thing that God expects is found in verse 1 of chapter 16. These things have I spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling that word stumble is the word from which we get our word scandalize. We shouldn't be caused to stumble. We shouldn't be scandalized by the hatred of the world, even by the persecution of the world. The fourth thing, drop down verse 4. These things have I, I have spoken to you, that when the hour comes, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you 
at the beginning because I was with you. Christian people, we have a tendency sometimes to forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget. When hatred comes from the world and persecution comes, remember, Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said this would happen. May I say to you, you are not in this place today by accident or by chance. I don't know why you're here in particular. It may be that you will encounter some form of hatred or persecution in the week to come. That may be. And I'd like to challenge you in closing. If you face persecution, hatred from the world, it means, listen to me, it means there are unsaved people all around. I want to encourage you to take it as an opportunity. Listen, folks. There's so many unsaved people all around that they can't possibly get away. There's no place for them to go. They can't possibly get away. May I say to you, we've really got them right where we want them. Reach out and touch them with the gospel. They may not even know it, but they're miserable at the core of their being. They're miserable. And we have the answer. Reach out and touch them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Wesley wrote, Soldiers of Christ arise. Put your armor on. Be strong, uh, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in His mighty power. Who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conqueror. From strength to strength go on. Wrestle, fight, pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day, he says. And then he says that having done all things and all your conflicts past, you may overcome through Christ alone and stand complete at last. You remember of whom it was said <clears throat> that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt to take and hold on to all that Christ is and all that Christ has given to us and hold that dearer than everything else and stand firm in the faith. A marvelously encouraging message? No. Because it tells us something about the cost of discipleship. Don't expect the world to love you. In fact, May I say very kindly, if the world is loving you, you might do yourself well uh, at a bit of introspection. Why does that world system, organized, ordered, headed by Satan, which leaves God, why is, that, why is that whole system loving me? Isn't there something amiss? Good question. Good question. But be encouraged. In Christ, there is all that any of us need to be and what He wants us to be and to do what He wants us to do. God never expects His people. He never gives them a task that He doesn't give them grace to do it and strength. Stand firm. The world will hate us. But like many of you, I've read the last page of the book, and we win.
I don't mean that glibly, but take heart. Take heart. Trust Jesus. Rely on the Spirit of God and be firm in your faith. Tim? Eve this morning. Somebody in this room, I don't know who it is, somebody in this room needs an encouraging word, a handshake, or a pat on the back. Somebody needs that. Will you be a part of it? Sure. I trust you will. After Tim prays, we'll sing, and then we'll go our way. Tim? Let's pray. God in heaven, we're so thankful to see this church almost full today in this celebration of your word, the singing, the fellowship that we've enjoyed. And God, this month, which is usually so harsh and cold and raw, I'm thankful for the warm breeze that we've enjoyed, this beautiful weather. Lord, I'm thankful for the flowers that are coming up in my garden so early, the daffodils that are my favorite and the beauty. I thank you for the glory of this world that you've given us. And Lord, for the mission that we're thinking about today, water missions, I thank you for the blessing of water. We never get tired of drinking. And when we're thirsty, nothing's so satisfying. And when we're hot and sweaty, nothing's so refreshing. And yet it is something that we take so for granted. And others have not the luxury of water, clean water. And it is an honor for this church to provide clean drinking water for the people of the world. And in so doing, share with them the living water of the gospel. Bless this ministry, Lord. Let us give graciously to it and spread the word while we provide the living water to those without. Go with us this coming week, Lord. Bless us, protect us, and bring us back next Sunday. All this we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.